This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, I apologize. It's not Brian today. It is Griff Jenkins, the reporter you often see on Fox News on the border. And I am so humbled, so honored. Allison and Eric asked me to come in. Brian's letting me sit in for him. I'm getting the full Kill Me experience. That's what I'm calling it because I got to do the three hours with Fox and Friends with Steve and Ainsley, which was amazing. I still have uh, the band War playing in my head because we were hearing, why aren't you be friends? But now I get to sit in. For the Brian Kilmeade Show, a huge uh, honor because of my background in radio, which I'm not going to bother you with because, no surprise here, Kilmeade has top shelf guests, absolute huge stars, and there may be no bigger star right now in the GOP that isn't declared for president. And her name is Governor Christy Noem. I want to get right to her to not waste time. Governor, it's Griff. Thank you so much. Happy Friday, and thanks for being here. Oh, absolutely, Griff. Welcome, and thanks for having me. The, you're the new and improved Brian this morning, huh? <laughs> Don't tell him. I'm going to get fired. I've only been on the radio for 30 seconds. But, you know, Governor, we, we were uh, talking uh, when we were planning the show about the ads that you do, and I think they're the most clever ads on the political spectrum, bar none. And I'm not just saying that because you're my guest right now, because you actually – do these ads where you're actually doing a job, whether it's a plumber or an electrician or whatever you're doing. Here is, I think we've got audio I can play of your very latest one. And it's not TV, but it works for radio. Take a listen. Let's look on the bright side. South Dakota stayed open for business during the pandemic. Now we've got more jobs than people. So I'm filling in until you get here. South Dakota is the freest state in America and the best state to live, work, and raise a family. We accept most out-of-state professional licenses, and we have over 20,000 open jobs, including for electricians. South Dakota, freedom works here. Oh, no, no. I'm a lousy electrician. Uh, you're a great electrician. Brilliant <laughs> ad series, Governor. What what caused you? What, what was the idea that sparked that? Oh, goodness. Yeah, that ad's kind of funny because I end up shutting the lights off on the entire Capitol Dome uh, because of my lack of skills. So we do need <laughs> electricians in South Dakota, so I don't have to do this anymore. You know, listen, for the last couple of years, we have had incredible growth in South Dakota. We've had businesses pick up and leave California, New York, Illinois, Minnesota, and come to South Dakota, and they've just thrived. Our economy is booming. Uh, you know, we don't have income taxes. We've just got a 4.2% sales tax. It's just a perfect environment for people's incomes to go up and to raise families. So what's happened is, is that we need workers. And I believe that the state that has the workers and people thriving is the state that's going to win this economic race. And so we decided to do a national marketing campaign 
specifically for the jobs that we need here in South Dakota, and they're professional jobs, jobs that pay $40, $50 an hour. And then we launched a very aggressive apprenticeship campaign so people that maybe don't even have these licenses can come here, get a job, get a high-paying wage, but also get trained on the job to better their career. They can become a plumber, a teacher in a classroom, a nurse, a dentist, a dent, you know, dental assistant. You know, it's just been phenomenal what we've seen. We have seen just in the few weeks we've been running this campaign, thousands and thousands of families decide to pick up their lives and move to South Dakota because they see the opportunities here. So our businesses are thrilled because they're getting workers that they didn't get before. And we're interacting with these families all over the country, uh, telling them about our schools, our wonderful communities, that we uphold law and order, we support law enforcement. Uh, they have a wonderful opportunity to raise their family in a community that still loves the Lord and embraces freedom, and, and they're thrilled about it, and they're coming. Well, and Governor, what's so fascinating is that you've been able to reach uh, this success for Americans and for South Dakotans, uh, while at the same time at the national level, I don't know if you've seen our latest Fox News polls out there, but you look at some of the numbers, and when we asked uh, voters, has Biden made the economy better or worse, uh, you've got 52% saying worse, only 25% saying better. And the other thing that is important to point out, and, and I was talking about about a little bit this morning on Fox and Friends, and that is the fact that when you simply look at the consumer price index numbers came out, and we saw in that that prices overall are generally up 16%, while wages are down 3%. That's since Joe Biden took Mm -hmm. office, but yet nobody can make ends meet in that scenario. That's why so many people are saying that Bidenomics doesn't work for them, but yet in South Dakota, you've been able to produce a totally opposite result. How? Well, I think that's what everybody saw coming was that Biden was going to destroy our economy with the policies he was embracing. And while most leaders or governors got ready for a recession and kind of tightened their belts, I decided to do the exact opposite, to to prove that our conservative principles work, that what we'd done the last several years had opened up opportunity, and we needed to put our foot on the gas and keep being aggressive in making sure that South Dakota was setting a different example and families here could be as protected as possible from this high inflation and and what we were seeing at the federal level. So, you know, that's what I think why South Dakota scares people so much as far as the liberals is because we didn't just talk about our conservative values. We actually did them and we proved that it worked. Um, People here are doing better. Uh, They're thriving. Our mental health and suicide and overdoses are going down. It's the exact opposite of what's going on in many other states. And, you know, that's the real threat is here. We don't have to talk in philosophical terms anymore. We as conservatives can just point to a state like South Dakota and say, see see how much better your life can be with leaders that embrace America. And and that's the real threat to the liberal ideology that, that we're continuing to to fight on and that I really think is the contrast we have in this next election cycle. Well, and that's what I wanted to get to is this next election cycle. And I think uh, the calls for uh, Christy Nome to get in uh, may get louder. But before I pester you with those old questions about whether you might get in or not, let's just talk from your from where you sit, your perspective of this field. Obviously, we have uh, coming up in less than a week now, the Fox debate with uh, Brett and Martha will have uh, a dozen or more 
uh, GOP candidates on stage. We don't know yet whether the former president, Donald Trump, will be there or not. We hope he will be. But an important discussion, I think, for the nation will be had on a number of issues and among them how to achieve uh, statewide success like you have done in South Dakota. But what is your uh, sort of view of things as we approach this first debate? And what, what would you like to hear about what needs to be really drawn out and put on the table? Well, you know, I uh, this is a great opportunity for one of them to step up and to contrast how they're a strong leader. Um, you know, that's what I haven't really seen out of those that will be on the stage. Um, I, you know, I know that Fox would love it if President Trump would show up. I don't think he should. He's so far ahead. He's the only one that can win right now. I don't know why he wouldn't sit back and let them all fight it out on that stage and then go on TV right after and tell his story without them interrupting him all the time. So, but, but actually, you know, that really that's a great point. And let me let me just engage with you a little bit, because there's the one school of thought. Uh, obviously, he's so far ahead, he doesn't need to show up, as, as you point out. But then there's also we're seeing, for example, you know, in, in our Fox polling with Vivek Ramaswamy back in March, we had asked who we would like to be as the second choice. Right. So take Trump out. Who would be second choice? Of course, DeSantis was at the top of that list. That's no surprise. Mm-hmm. Ramaswamy in March was at zero in the Fox poll. Now he's at 22 percent in second place. So he's got a little bit of breakout star. I was saying this morning he's caught lightning in a bottle of. Uh, in a certain manner, and it may be an opportunity for Vivek or others, uh, DeSantis or Haley or Tim Scott or those, to to sort of break out. And if Donald Trump's not on the stage, there's more airtime before a giant audience of tens of millions of people to really get known by voters that may not know him, which is sort of the reason why Vivek is is starting to rise. Yeah, I I think out of those that will be on that stage that night, Vivek is the most interesting one to me. Um, You know, he's the one that says a lot of what I believe. Um, His only flaw, well, there might be others that we just don't know yet, but that is the biggest flaw we have right now is we don't know him. He's never led. We haven't seen examples of that. We don't know if he's tough enough to really make the decisions to fix this country. Uh, And, uh, you know, there's times where, you question if he can t- translate what he knows from his business world into really fixing the bureaucracy in Washington, D.C. We know that's a whole other animal, and uh, President Trump has already proven himself there to be a fighter on those issues. So I will be very interested in hearing what Vivek has to say. The rest of those folks up there, I feel like I know them very well. They're, they're, some of them are good people. Um, I just have, they're not fighters. They're not fighters. And if you really look at what they've done and their policies when it was important to this country, they didn't step up. And so I'm not really interested in the rest of them. I am a little interested in Vivek to hear what he says. But, but frankly, at the end of the day, we have proven that we are on the verge of breaking this country with what we see coming out of the DOJ. And if we don't have equal protection under the law for every single citizen, including President Trump, then I don't I don't know what we have when we look at the foundation of the country. That's that's what we're facing right now. And we've got to have someone that really gets in there and cleans house. And, Governor, you've proven you are a fighter and you have the experience at the national level. You have not decided to run for president. But you told my friend Sean Hannity that you would possibly be willing to be considered on a ticket for vice president. Explain. Well, you know, I've run a few races now, and um, I get into races I can win. And that was my analysis at looking at the presidential race. With President Trump in there, I really felt like there wasn't a path to victory 
uh, right now. Um, and but you know, I absolutely. My husband and I talk about it all the time that we've got grandkids now, and we we really it drives home to us every single day when we look at them, just what kind of a country we're leaving them. So we will be a part of whatever we get asked to do. We'll certainly consider anything just because we care about the fact that we were handed so many blessings growing up. And I'm not certain 10, 15 years from now, if those blessings will still be there. It's changed so dramatically. Griff. Mm-hmm. Think about the changes this country has gone through the last 10 years. Um, un- I would have never dreamed we'd, yeah, I would never have dreamed we would see government control and decisions taken away from people the way we've seen the last 10 years. So it, there's a part of me that says, how can I sit on the sidelines and just say, ah, yeah. you know, let these kids fend for themselves when we all have an opportunity to step up and do what we can. And if for some reason the former president, Donald Trump, were to bow out of this race, any scenario where you could see yourself getting in the race for the top of the ticket? No, no, we'll see. You know, it's it's a hard thing to think about. One thing is I never speak about hypotheticals. Right. Um, and one thing I also know is I have no idea what's happening next week, much less six months from now. I do think this will be a strange presidential race and people should just be ready for a wild ride. Well, Governor Christy Noem, as always, it is great to talk to you. And I am so honored to be able to talk to you filling in for Brian today. We love you putting out these ads. They're so insightful and they connect with the American public because at the end of the day, people don't care about politicians and campaigns and polls. They care about their paycheck and their job. And you're giving them hope there in South Dakota. I think if you had an ocean where I could also surf, Governor, I probably would be considering (laughs) a South Dakota move myself. But as a surfer, I've got to be not too far from the ocean. Governor Christine, thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great weekend. Absolutely. You have a fantastic day. Thanks, Chris. All right. That was Governor Christy Nim. What an insight saying there. Hey, look, if Donald Trump got out, she doesn't know what she might have to get in the race. She's a fighter, always insightful. I am Griff Jenkins. If you've just tuned in, you're listening, wondering who the heck is on the radio. I did not commandeer and take over Brian Kilmeade's show. He asked me to fill in. So we're going to do an exciting show today. We got a call in number 866-408-7669, 866-408-7669, briankilmeadeshow.com. Don't go anywhere. It's Griff Jenkins in for Brian. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's not Brian. It's Griff Jenkins, reporter, weekend anchor for Fox News, filling in for my friend Brian. A huge honor. The first time I've ever gotten to do it. Allison and Eric invited me to come. And, of course, Brian giving the blessing. And it's so special to me because a little story, and I'll tell more about this later. By the way, give us a call at 1-866-408-7669, 1-866-408-7669. Ask me anything you want. I'll talk to you, as Rush Limbaugh used to say, free for all Friday. 
Monday. We can talk about anything you want. I've been on the border. I've covered every war zone from Iraq to Ukraine and everything else in between to include uh, multiple indictments of the former president and that little thing in Delaware where that plea deal fell through with Hunter Biden. We can talk about it at 866-408-7669. Griff Jenkins filling in. It's special to me because I started in radio. In the 1990s, a young kid from Memphis got a degree in uh, uh, Jack Daniels at Ole Miss and somehow managed to graduate in four years, ended up in Washington, D.C., and my father said, Griff, you got one month rent I'll pay until you are on your own, and if you fail, you're going to come back to Memphis and not be able to be in D.C. I wanted to be in D.C. because I had interned for a summer previously. And so I found a job in a radio station in the early 90s that led ultimately to starting the Oliver North radio show, Lieutenant Colonel Ollie North, Common Sense Radio Across America. We did that for years. And then I started Fox's radio with Tony Snow, the great late Tony Snow, a hero of mine. And so to be here today, filling in for the great Brian Kilmeade, to sit in and talk to you guys and interview guests uh, in this format really touches my heart. And it's very, very special. Meanwhile, I digress. We want to get you in here, 866-408-7669. Here's the question that is maybe obvious as we head into the campaign, uh, but if not, let's go back and think about the Remember, it's the economy, stupid. That old adage coined by James Carville, the Bill Clinton guy from way, way back. And, you know, the, the Clinton administration did a great job in framing the argument of, hey, are you better off now than you were four years ago? Well, Fox's latest polling simply says you're not. Now, in September of 2021, when we asked voters whether they were better or worse, they uh, whether the Biden economy had made them better or worse, early on it was 42% better, 47% worse, fairly even. Today, now, in the latest poll, 25%, only one in four Americans say they're better, 52%, more than half, say they're worse off. And the reason why, as I was mentioning in the interview with Governor Nome, is because you've got uh, consumer prices across the board up 16%, but wages right now are down 3% uh, across the course of the President Biden administration uh, policies. And that is why Americans from coast to coast are struggling in trying to figure out how to make ends meet. And I'm going to play for you. When I come back, we'll get into why the White House is selling Bidenomics being so well. But yet at the same time, that's not the reality that Americans are feeling. And by the way, a little behind the scenes, I was literally supposed to say all this stuff and get to your phone calls. And I did. And I started running my mouth. I was terrified to sit in this format thinking, what am I going to talk about for all these segments? And here I am with Allison nodding her head. It's like Jenkins show. Shut up, which is what Ollie North used to say in the 90s when I would talk on the radio. Meanwhile, I digress. We have got an amazing bang-up Friday show. We're going to take your calls at 866-408-7669 and a whole lot more. Ask me anything you want. We'll be right back. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
And this is Griff Jenkins, Fox News reporter extraordinaire, with the huge honor of filling in for my buddy and hero, Brian Kilmeade, on this amazing Friday. And we have got so much to talk about, so many problems in the country, particularly the economic pain people are feeling. But then there's also, and as a father of two daughters, the issue of what the hell is happening in our schools. I have reported numerous times on critical race theory, on DEI issues, particularly where I am in D.C., in the Fairfax County public schools, in the Maryland schools, the CRT is a problem. But there's a new issue. It's creeping up, and we have a guest now coming on, Nicholas Giordano, who is a professor that understands this new problem, and guess what? It's climate change. He has an awesome op-ed right now on foxnews.com entitled, America's Schools Are Becoming Training Grounds for Climate Change Activists. Welcome to the show, Nicholas. Thank you for having me, Griff. Professor, it certainly seems like this is a class that that environmentalist Swedish girl, Greta Thunberg, whatever her name is, would enjoy. Yet American kids, not so sure this is good for them. What is going on in our schools? Well, the, the education system in several states is looking to create an entire generation of Greta Thunbergs, when you put it that way. So we're talking about climate, climate change being adopted into the curriculum, not just in science class, this would be a non-issue for science, but in every single subject area from kindergarten through high school graduation. We're talking climate change in physical education, climate change in art, foreign language, math, Wait, social stop. studies. How does climate change end up in art class for a kindergartner? Well, and, and that's the thing that, that we're looking at right now is that this is legislation. So you have state legislative bodies that have mandated that this gets taught in every subject area, removing the foundational principles in each subject area and replacing it with climate change. And, and that's the problem I have with this. It, it's designed to create activists. So take New Jersey, for instance. In New Jersey, their own standards state that it's going to have to be approached through a climate justice perspective. That's the only perspective that's allowed. And they want schools to hire climate justice coordinators to assist teachers in developing the lesson plans. So think about it this way. Teachers that would never trained in climate change are now required to teach it in their classrooms. And that's how you see it's about activism. It's not about lessons. We have learning loss at historic levels because of the response to the pandemic and the school closures. Mm -hmm. Proficiency levels are abysmal in this country. They're at historic lows. And yet we're supposed to cut out core foundational materials and to make way for this new climate change agenda they want to push. So goodbye, algebra. Welcome to climate justice. Correct. Every single word problem in mathematics will now have a climate change equation. So this is when I when I saw this and, and Allison, our great producer, was like, hey, would you want to talk to Professor Giordano? I said, absolutely. You know, I was when I was the radio producer uh, many years ago for Tony Snow, climate change was a battle back then in the early 2000s. And uh, the great uh, writer uh, in, in, for which we've seen so many great uh, movies made from his writings, Michael Crichton. Michael Crichton, who was a very private person, very rarely ever did anything public, did publish a, a paper about climate change because he said, and he was such a smart guy, he said, you know, ultimately, climate change, there isn't data to go far enough back to prove the agenda that's being pushed. And mind you, this is 15 years ago. He said, therefore, it's got to be a religion. 
it's a faith leap that this data would end up with where we are in terms of climate change and what was spurning these justice warriors way back when. And he said, at the end of the day, data is the only thing that can't lie. It has no agenda. It's just facts. It's data. Now, fast forward to today, you're saying that essentially that theory of the faith leap of climate change being a religion is now trying to be ingrained in our young people. Correct. And it's about this groupthink mentality that's going on. So when we look at social studies, for instance, one of the new standards in place is that students will plan and prepare to implement climate change solutions. They're going to advocate for climate change solutions. Well, advocacy is not education. That's pushing a political agenda. And we see this. Now, I start teaching in about a week again. My semester resumes a new semester. 90% of the student body coming in can't differentiate the American Constitution from the Russian Constitution. You would think that we would focus on that and get students to understand the the country that they're living in as opposed to push political agendas down their throats. But the point is to get them to adhere to this idea of a big government apparatus based on an existential crisis – where they're introducing fear into the student body. And we're seeing the results of this. I mean, we do have polling numbers. We have data that shows that the majority of 13 to 17-year-olds feel guilty about climate change, that they're responsible. They feel angry towards climate change, and they're afraid of it. When we look at 18 to 24-year-olds, 60% fear climate change. Over one-third of those, 18 to 24, are now rethinking having children in the future based on climate change. Really? So they are making an impact with the rhetoric, but now it's not just rhetoric, right? Now it goes into curriculums to teach students, and that's why we at Campus Reform are raising the alarm bells that the education system has been taken over. It's not about academic excellence. It's not about intellectual curiosity. It's pushing an opinion down people's throats and saying there's only one way to think, and that's the right way to think. And you have no shortage of Democrat politicians trying to reinforce that message on any given day. In fact, we put a compilation together, a montage of Democrats weighing in on that issue. Take a listen. If we don't keep the temperature from going above 1.5 degrees Celsius raised, then we're in real trouble. That's what's boiling the oceans, creating these atmospheric rivers and the rain bombs and sucking the moisture out of the land and creating the droughts and melting the ice and raising the sea level. Climate change is the crisis of our lifetime. We have an obligation to future generations to make sure that we have a planet for them to live on. Was that Al Gore in the middle of that? I thought <laughs> I, I, I recognized Al Gore. I remember, you know, when I was producing Tony Stone's radio show, I keep taking it back to that. I'm dating myself. I'm an old guy. But we pulled, I went and bought Al Gore's award-winning book, Earth and the Balance, or whatever the hell its name is. And he read his own audio book, and he's like, it must be possible <laughs> to extinguish the combustion gas engine. And now where are we today? People are being forced to buy EV vehicles, and it's a miserable experience because, A, they can't afford them, and, B, you can't find places to charge them unless you're in a big city. So essentially the big city mentality is being forced on the nation. I digress. So, Professor Let's talk for a second about where we're seeing this really being pushed hardest. You say, uh, before we came on, in New Jersey, where and why? 
Well, New Jersey was really the first state to actually pioneer this climate change curriculum. And you're right. You saw the EV push, but we also have electric stoves, right? And we're sitting here right now. I'm not okay with that. I'm a gas stove guy and I'm the cook in my house. But I digress. Continue. Even worse than that is the coal-fired and wood-fired pizza ovens here in New York City. I mean, you know, you want pizza. Coal-fired and wood-fired pizza is the best. But when you look at it, that that's the point, right? It's to instill fear in the youth to get them to advocate for these policies where the government's always the solution. You heard it with Al Gore. You hear it with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I mean, the congresswoman predicted, what, six years ago that we only have 12 years to make advances and otherwise that's it. We're right. doomed. You see this policy, the issue never goes away. And that's my concern. So New Jersey, and, and I have to say, they are upfront about it. It's not like they're hiding it. They state openly that they wanted taught from a climate justice perspective, which falls under that DEI umbrella, the social mm-hmm. justice right, umbrella. Right. And that's what's creeping into our education system. Student proficiency in American history is at 13 percent. Only 13 percent of students are proficient in American history, 22 percent in American civics, 23 percent in mathematics, 29 percent in reading. Those numbers are horrific. We keep on dropping in the standards and yet now we're moving away for even further from the core foundational material. So we're dropping worldwide, and this is why. And those are unacceptable numbers. And let me play devil's advocate with you a little bit, Nick. And, and that is, so for the youthful, uh, liberal-minded uh, student might be listening to you saying, you know what, you're just a callous heartless professor that doesn't (laughs) give a damn about the planet in the future to leave for future generations. How do you respond? That we're not going to save the world by banning plastic straws and making every drink taste terrible with a paper straw. Okay. Listen, like I said, it's not about climate change as an issue. You want to teach the science of climate change in a science course. I don't have a problem with that. But when you look at physical education where climate change is listed four times in the standards Healthy eating habits are only listed twice. Obesity and the obesity epidemic aren't listed at all. It tells you you everything you need to know about this, that climate change in physical education, in mathematics, it's being pushed, forced on a student body. And that's my problem with it. You want to teach the science of climate change? Well, it should be stick to the teachers that teach science. But when you're making teachers that have no experience in the science of climate change and forcing it on a student body – That's manipulating young minds. That goes too far. That's based on indoctrination, not on education. And what is the impact? So we send our children to school to learn things, to learn a skill, to prepare them for their future life. We hope that the next generation will do better than our generation. I'm not so sure that's the case right now looking at this economy, but that's another subject. But when you talk about the the climate uh, uh, climate agenda – what does that do in terms of, of, of helping or hurting the, the young minds for preparing themselves for the future? Education is based on the idea of critical thinking, problem solving, and becoming an informed citizen. When you're only teaching from one perspective, you're, you're losing those three other elements that make up the core. And if you can't critically think, if you can't problem solve, Well, you're not going to be able to be a productive citizen within our society. And we're witnessing the effects of that as companies like IBM, Google have moved away from four-year degrees. We see states like Pennsylvania, Virginia, ironically, New Jersey as well, moving away from four-year degrees, basically coming to the conclusion 
that the students aren't learning what they're supposed to be learning. They're not coming into the workforce ready to go. So if we have to retrain them, then what's the point of having a four-year degree? And that's what we're seeing. So we're diminishing our own profession by pushing this agenda on the student body. It's interesting. We, of course, have heard so much from this administration about the Inflation Reduction Act. It's going to get inflation down. It's not going to cost so much to buy my Starbucks with a plastic straw, which makes the drink suck, as you (laughs) point out rightfully so. I don't like those straws. I'm going to get really off uh, base with that. But ultimately, we now have John Podesta at the White House uh, in recent days admitting as much that, uh, well, the Inflation Reduction Act was really about climate change. Professor Nicholas Giordano, I'm going to have him respond to that after this break. Don't go anywhere. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Give us a call. 866-408-7669. School is not out with the professor. We'll be right back. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Experts warn that that extreme disasters such as this one are only becoming more common because climate change is fueling Mm -hmm. stronger storms, hotter temperatures. Clearly, we very very much need to acknowledge that climate change is upon us. There are whole states, by the way, Jake, where you can't even use the words climate change because they still have a hit in the sand attitude. Whole states where you can't say climate change. Heck, it's being taught in schools across the country. This is Griff Jenkins filling in for the great Brian Kilmeade, who's allowing me graciously to fill in today on this Friday and talk a little bit with you. And our guest joining us now, Professor Nicholas Giordano, about this from Campus Reform. He's got a great op-ed up on foxnews.com about America's schools becoming training grounds for climate change activists. That was, of course, the Democrat Senator Mazi Harona talking with Jake Tapper of CNN about uh, tying climate change to the horrific Maui wildfires. And before we went to break, Professor, you and I were talking a little bit about uh, how the uh, Inflation Reduction Act is really more of a climate change bill. Uh, And yet it seems that this this White House, uh, President Biden, is really trying uh, to to gain some uh, uh, climate change authority that didn't exist before. Absolutely. I mean, first of all, I'd love for the senator to give me an example of name me one state that where you can't bring up the words climate change. And, and that's just not true. But many are pushing President Biden to declare a national emergency when it comes to climate change. And as a political science professor, what that does is it allows the president to bypass Congress and implement certain changes on his own, redirect funding on his own. So it gives the presidency a lot of power. But the problem is that that climate change, it, it's this amorphous existential crisis. What's the end? What, what's the end of it? Yeah. What, what are the goals that we have outlined that state? OK, we tackled the problem and so we can move on to other issues. Well, there is none. So it never ends. And that's the problem. And, and I, maybe you're not aware, but I used to be in emergency management. I worked for the New York State Office of Emergency Management. And I did emergency management planning in regards to all the natural disasters. I did response and recovery operations. When we look at it, to blame every single natural disaster on climate change, well, they have an easy, oh, this disaster is for climate change. You need to give us more power to solve it. So is this climate change curriculum designed to have students support the idea of giving government more power, giving authority to the presidency to handle this amorphous threat. And and that's my fear. We already see students don't know about the Constitution. They can't pass a citizenship test. 
They don't know the separation of powers and the checks and balances within the system. And it's why it's easy to change and manipulate the system when the population is unaware of the system. It's so insightful to hear you talk about that. I didn't know that about your your background, and that makes so much sense. And, you know, look, I'm a lifelong surfer. I love our beaches. I love our earth. I love you know, protecting the environment. But this is something different. And you brought it home there when you talk about the old, tell me how this ends. We don't know. In fact, so there was uh, uh, just, uh, I've been throwing numbers around, which you should never throw poll numbers around in radio because you can't say anything. It just confuses people. But yet here I am, numbers, Jenkins, giving you something again. The Washington Post last month polled people uh, on Biden's handling of climate change. Only 40% approve, 57% Disapprove. So he's not actually doing that well on the issue. But as you point out, at the end of the day, there isn't really anything that he can do that is an end goal achievement. I've only got about 30 seconds. What do you say? What frightens me about that poll is the 57 percent that disapprove. Many of them believe that the president isn't doing enough, isn't using more governmental power, more presidential authority in order to solve the existential crisis of climate change. And and that's what concerns me in a society where we're based on the idea of limited government, of checks and balances, where we're willing to just freely give away power without any evidence to really support the claim. In your op-ed, it said uh, that you saw evidence of a climate change agenda even in phys ed class, a gym? Gym class had it? Correct. So in New Jersey, they, they now have students as young as kindergarten that, that will play games based on climate change where they'll make kids run and then coach will scream out a fact and you'll have to say true or false. And if you get it right, you get a point. That, that's how in, insane it's gone. Let's focus on the obesity epidemic when it comes to physical education. I I think that's much more important right now. Unbelievable. Professor Nicholas Giordano with an op-ed on FoxNews.com. America's schools are becoming training grounds for climate change activists. Nick, thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Griff Jenkins in for Brian Kilmeade. We will be on the radio where you can find us. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hello, happy Friday. It is your humble D.C. correspondent, Griff Jenkins, with the honor of a lifetime getting to sit in for Brian Kilmeade's radio show. Brian, the great, wonderful broadcaster, and I'm immersing myself in the full Kilmeade experience. I got to guest host in with uh, Stephen Ainsley for Fox and Friends, now doing the radio show. And it is a huge honor, not only because I think so much of Brian and his staff, Allison and Eric and everybody here, but also because I started in radio in the 90s, just a kid from Memphis, uh, got into talk radio. We'll talk more about that. But we have an amazing show on the Brian Kilmeade Show today. You can call us at 866-408-7669. And I want 
to talk more about my background in a little bit, but I want to get to our guest because Nicola Ambrose has joined us in studio here. She is the National Committee Woman for the Maryland GOP, obviously in D.C. I'm familiar with Maryland politics, and it's a really uh, great opportunity to have you here in New York. It's awesome to be here. <laughs> Normally, I am not in New York. I'm in Baltimore, D.C., so it's awesome to be here, Griff. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm having fun, and hopefully I haven't broken the show yet. We're only a few minutes in, if even only a few seconds, so we're going to get right into it. But, you know, Nick Lee, honestly, talk radio, and when I was in, in the 90s doing it, Rush, Sean, I was producing Ollie North's radio show, then Tony Snow, and talk radio was the incubator for thought, yes. for really issues, yes. for campaigns. Nobody got elected president, really on either party, without engaging in radio, and it's still to this day the absolute ground zero for where people can talk a little more at length rather than the 30-second sound bites we see on television about these issues. And that's what I want to get into this with you. But I want to, as uh, I've been sort of talking about all morning, we were talking about on, on Fox and Friends, and give us a call, 866-408-7669, because you can ask me or, more importantly, Nicolee, any question you want about the upcoming race. It's going to be yet again a campaign about finances. Remember James Carville, it's the economy stupid. It's still the case today. And there's a lot of other issues to include the border where you may have seen me reporting from extensively with my colleague Bill Malusian and others uh, in crime and so many other issues. But specifically when it comes to the economy and the latest Fox News poll, we found these results. Has Biden made the economy better or worse? 25% say better. It's only one in four Americans. 52% say Worse, And we put together a montage of officials at the White House, including the president, the vice president and the president's spokeswoman, talking about how great Bidenomics is, which stands in contrast to our polling numbers. But I think we've got that montage. If I can roll it, let's do it. Bidenomics is working. When I took office, the pandemic was raging and our economy was reeling. Supply chains are broken. Millions of people unemployed. Hundreds of thousands of small businesses on the verge of closing after so many had already closed. Bidenomics is just another way of saying restoring the American dream. Bidenomics is working. Last month, we created 187,000 new jobs. That means today, yeah, go ahead and clap. <laughs> Bidenomics is indeed working when, when we say that you look at the data, right? Cost, cost is going down. Folks, that's Bidenomics. It's about growing an economy. Nicolay, is Bidenomics working for Marylanders? Bidenomics is working for no one in the United States of America, or I'll even say our territories. It is not working for the world either, which often depends on America to lift it out of uh, slow financial morass. What Republicans most need to do in 2024, because what do you hear from Republicans? Republicans say we most want to win. OK, so the way we need to win is to focus on these issues which matter to every single day Americans. When I'm sitting down at dinner with my children, when I'm in line at the grocery store and my groceries in some cases cost 50 percent more than they did before COVID and even in, in, in it was not abated by President Biden. We need to focus on the pocketbook issues and whether it is inflation and mortgage rates being at 7.9 percent, whether it is our sieve of a border, which is dangerous to 
all of these migrants who are being sex trafficked, child trafficked, trafficked, whatever. These are horrible situations for Americans to find themselves in. It is unsafe. Crime, immigration, most of all the economy. We have to focus on that instead of so many of the of the things you're seeing in the news these days. Well, and you know, you talk about the numbers, by the way, since Biden took office, consumer prices are up 16 percent. Gas prices up over 60 percent, six zero, sixty one point eight to be exact. Home prices up eleven point three percent. Credit card debt up almost thirty four percent. But yet here you have the administration saying that Bidenomics is working for him. And we see this uh, disconnect, Nicolae, between the 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 Washington insiders and Main Street, a different reality for Americans out there. It's definitely the story of the emperor's new clothes, right? Biden is out here saying things and just because he says them does not make them true. And it is up to my party, the Republican Party, to get out there and demonstrate why all of those things are false. And we have to do it clearly and we have to do it concisely. To me, when we look at 2024, whether we're looking at the presidency, the Senate or the House, we must make the case on these issues that matter to everyday Americans. And in our case, we can't just say gas prices are high. No, we have to go beyond that and and walk that conversation through to people. And how does a Republican being elected change that dynamic? How dare you ask for solutions, Nicolay? There we go. And you talk about the 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 election starting. It's going to kick off officially in my book. I say it starts with the first presidential debate, and we have one coming up in the middle of next week. Brett Baer, Martha McCallum will hold the first uh, GOP presidential debate with a dozen uh, or so candidates. Not sure whether or not the former President Trump is going to come. I certainly hope he does come to talk about solutions, and I understand you're going to be there as well. I am. I'm very excited to be there. So August 23rd, we have the first debate of the uh, Republican primary debate of the 2024 cycle. Um, It is really hard for me to imagine that former President Donald Trump is going to forego two hours on TV where he could get his points across. So I'm I'm looking forward to lots of excitement and it's hard for me to imagine he won't be joining the stage. Why, why, though, do you believe it's important he is there? Well, first of all, Donald Trump has shown time and time again, he basically decimates his opponents, but he has to be there in person and has to have the he coverage He says he's the best it. debater. Well, there you go. So if you say you are, show up and prove it. So, right, it's great to have all the people running um, show up. Furthermore, I mean, he's polling at 50%. So on the one hand, I understand advisors telling him, you're ahead, why show up? But once again, if that's your greatest skill set and you're great with media, show up and have the, be there to answer the questions. Because certainly given all of his 91 criminal you know, indictments that we're looking at, he basically needs to be there to fight it off himself. So this is why I am so excited that you are here. Nicolae Ambrose is the National Committee Woman from Maryland, GOP with us. I'm Griff Jenkins, filling in for Brian Kilmeade. If you're just joining us, give us a call, 866-408-7669. Nicolae, the reason why I'm so excited that we're here having this conversation, because people have talked about whether or not President uh, Trump is going to show up or not, but I think he should show up. Absolutely. Because 
He is currently running on a campaign of getting even yep. the prosecution or persecution, as he puts it, the payback that's coming. You have to elect me to fix the two tier system of justice. And I don't disagree with him that that's a strong case he has to make. But he cannot get reelected without Republican suburban women. Exactly. And they have shown historically that they are not going to care at all about payback issues. And they are the front line of moms and wives that are dealing with the 16% prices we're talking about, the 61.8% gas prices. Like they're the, the, the moms and wives of this nation in America. God love them because they are the generals on the battlefield of inflation that American families are feeling. And I think this is, if Donald Trump doesn't show up, it's a missed opportunity to reach an audience that is not automatically there yet. But that's just me. What do you say? I couldn't agree with you more. So obviously, shocker, everyone, I am a suburban mom. And so I am a little passionate about this, um, that any and every Republican candidate has to explain their points. If you can't convince a swing voter, I'm not just going to say Republican women, I'm going to say all female voters. Republicans need to win back the suburbs and where our party stands on the issues absolutely aligns with the needs of suburban women voters, right? We're better on the economy. We're better on crime. We're better on education. We are better on every single thing that matters to a suburban female voter. So we have to start, although it's this is for a Republican primary where mm-hmm. only Republicans can vote in most states, it is important. It's critical. We use this marketing opportunity to explain these points to. But you say we, Nikki. Look, I'm talking about Donald Trump there and Vivek Ramaswamy and Ron DeSantis and uh, Nikki Haley and Tim Scott. What is the message that that the, these Republicans need to be saying to Republican suburban women? Right. Number one, we are going to bring you back that fantastic economy. So whether it's Donald Trump or any of the people running to have similar economic policies to him, they have to say that we have delivered this to you before. We will do it again. We will get government overreach out of your way so you and your families can be prosperous. So you can not only afford groceries, but afford that vacation once a year. And guess what? You can move because your mortgage rate should not be 7.9% with an extra 800 a month in borrowing costs. These are things that make people's life difficult and costly, right? So economic, number one. Number two, we are seeing any, any parent understands what a disaster COVID was for our children's education. Republicans by far have the best message on that, and we have to sing it all day long. We are for education choice. We are for children being in the classroom. We are for focusing on the basics of reading, writing, and arithmetic. I do not need my kindergarten lectured about what gender they are when I need them to learn the alphabet. There is only so much time into today. Focus on the basics, please. So these are things that Donald Trump and every single other Republican candidate has to stress, has to focus on. We can't get bogged down in what certain media outlets want us to talk about all the time, which is, you know, how many court cases we have and how many states. No, because guess what? That doesn't do a thing for my everyday life. Right. Well, and look, Donald Trump's going to be part of the conversation on that debate stage, whether he's there or not. Absolutely. But which is why he should show up. 
Right. And, and, <laughs> exactly. and, and for him to miss out, to engage, you, you really deprive voters, not just suburban women, but all voters uh, and, and, and likely GOP voters, uh, the opportunity to see what would be different than the Donald Trump uh, uh, first term in the second one. Because our, our set of issues and our problems are a little bit different. All right. We've got Nicola Ambrose in with us. I'm Griff Jenkins on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Give us a call. I promise we'll take phone calls with Nicola ask her anything. My question for the listeners is, what would be the question you ask Republicans on that debate stage? What's your question? 866-408-7669. Griff Jenkins in for the great Brian Kilmeade. We'll be right back. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. That's the Dire Straits playing just for Brian Kilmeade because he's literally that huge of a massive star. I love it. And Eric with awesome bumping music. I love the Dire Straits. What are, you, are you a fan, Nicolay, of the Dire Straits? You know, there are better groups. I'm sorry. I know. Everyone can fight me and over you know, this. When, when, I, when, I used to, when I used to produce uh, uh, radio back in the day, I used to make fun of hosts that would talk about the bump music. And now that I'm sitting in the chair <laughs> all these years later, it's like, I want to talk about the bump music. It's like I am literally violating my own rules. I love it. And that's why it's such a huge honor to be in on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Griff Jenkins. Your humble correspondent for Fox News from D.C. sitting in for Brian on this Friday with Nicolie Ambrose, the Maryland National Assembly woman, sitting in with us. You got a second for a call? I got some great it. calls Let's coming in it, at 866-408-7669. Let's go to Brian in Illinois. Hey, Brian, happy Friday. Hey, this is Brian. Brian's rule. Um, the thing I'd like to ask the candidates at the uh, the debate coming up is what are they going to do about or does anybody even address the elite agendas you know the brick the uh you know the digital currency come that everybody wants um what are they going to do about uh you know things that you know the i know everybody talks about the climate change but normal people don't care about the agendas they're they're worried about you know being an American, you know, yeah. the Jason Aldean, you know, don't do this in a small town, but the big cities are getting away with it. Well, that's what know? I was going to say, Brian. You sound like you might be talking about the rich men north of Richmond that Oliver Anthony is singing about in that new country song. Right. That's I a mean, great That's a great question. That's a great question. Actually, Nicolay, you want to answer Brian's question? You know, I think this is why... Republicans, when we do well, this is what makes us do well, right? When we talk about issues that appeal to everyday Americans, when whether you're out there on the construction site or you're, you know, <laughs> the mom working in a grocery store, whatever it is, we we win when we talk to people about these basic issues, everyday issues that affect your everyday life. So, you know, we're looking at eight candidates making this debate stage. There's still a chance, apparently, that Suarez from uh, Miami could qualify. We could be up to nine who qualify on this debate stage. But I absolutely say right now, speaking of money, the money is on the sidelines, right? A lot of people haven't come forth, opened their wallets yet to donate to some of these different candidates mm -hmm. running for president. So I think this debate is going to be huge for people making their individual cases to voters 
and voters being impressed and big donors from everyone from the little guy to the big guy being impressed and saying, yeah. okay, this is my guy or my gal. I'm not only giving you my money, but I'm giving you my time and, you know, go America. Let's have a Republican win the presidency in 2024. And, and Brian, thank you for calling in. Uh, if you're still listening, have a great weekend because, you know, Brian gave me an idea and that is they should have Oliver Anthony that sang that song, Richmond, North of Richmond, come to the debate stage and ask Brian's question, which is, what are you going to do about the elite agenda that everyone's talking about? Because it's not, as he points out, what real Americans care about. You know, I got to tell you, Nigley, as as a father of two daughters, they're now 21 and 17. I can remember in, in my case, you work seven days a week. Some of those days, if not all those days, are 12 hours a day. And you can't pay the bills when that month is over. And you're frustrated. The, the, The sense of hopelessness that so many have felt, it's just unbelievable. That is what it's at. Nicolae Ambrose, great. Can't wait to see you at the debates. And uh, it's going to be exciting. We'll have you back on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Griff Jenkins filling in. We'll be back. radio show like no other it's brian kilmeade first of all rand paul shouldn't even be on this stage but we will be respected outside of this country we are not respected now do we want someone with that kind of character that kind of careless language to be negotiating with Putin? we want someone like that to be negotiating with iran i think really there's a sophomore quality that is entertaining about mr trump but i am worried his response his his visceral response to attack people on their appearance. That happened in junior high. Are we not way above that? I never attacked him on his look. And believe me, there's plenty of subject matter right there. (laughs) That is the Wayback Machine going back to 2015, the GOP debate when then-candidate Donald Trump, who would eventually be president, giving Rand Paul a just a taste of how strong of a debater he is in real time, off the cuff. And who knows whether or not we will get to see that next week. I'm Griff Jenkins, your humble correspondent from D.C., filling in for the great Brian Kilmeade on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Give us a call at 866-408-7669. I've got Nicolae Ambrose, the National Committee Woman from Maryland GOP, in studio with us here in New York. Nicolay, let's take another call because we've got Matt from the great affiliate WTFK with us uh, talking about this debate. And Matt, thanks for joining us. You think Trump should show up for the debate. Why? Hello, Griff. This is WTKF, uh, the talk station in uh, Moorhead City, North Carolina. Excellent. Okay. Anyway, I agree with you and Allison and and the, the whole show. I believe that Trump should debate because he's so good at it. I mean, you know, and and also on Wednesday, I believe it was Fox News, listed all the lies that Biden has said since 19, the 1980s till current. What's your opinion, sir? 
<laughs> well, listen, you know, Matt, thank you for the call. And I'm going to let Nicolee weigh in. But you raise such a good point, And that is, this is going to be a missed opportunity, I think, for the former president to not show those skills because people like Matt and everyone across America remembers. And if anybody can rattle off the, the past failures uh, of Joe Biden, it's going to be a guy like Donald Trump. We've seen him do it time and time again. We actually get it in his truth social, but yet, you know, I'm not sure we're going to see whether or not guys like Vivek Ramaswamy, who seems to be rising in a major way and Ron DeSantis and others, they're going to get a shot at doing it too, but it's not going to be the same if Donald Trump's not there. You're so right, Griff. So if people are going to attack you, be there to defend yourself, right? And make the case for why you're why you're fantastic. I have to set the stage here for a second because I had the honor of being at that first presidential debate at 2015. And the excitement is just electrifying in the room, right? It's just exciting. This is one of these unique things about America, yeah. right? Where it actually really matters. And based on what people say, you can actually decide to help them. You can actually decide to go out there and spend the next year and a half of your life working for them, volunteering for them, helping them become the next president of the United States. So um, it was amazing back in 2015, 2016. And it will be like that again, because we're in that similar dynamic where the Republican Party has to choose our nominee. So um, I cannot agree enough with Matt, because you got to be there to defend yourself. So if you are former President Trump, you should be at this first Republican debate of this cycle. Yes, and Matt, thank you for that for that great call. And, and Nicolay, you know, you you really uh, jogged my my memory here because you are at that first debate, and it occurs to me that was people were not seeing Donald Trump as even the likely nominee, let alone the front runner that he is now. Uh, take us back to: Did you have any indication when you saw that first debate, and we saw the unbridled Donald Trump, the businessman, the TV celebrity, now running for president? Did you have any indication, any thought, truth told here, that he would go on to be the nominee based on what you saw in that first debate? You know, I he has always been an outstanding debater. You know, the debate was where he kind of proved he could take on lifelong politicians or people who had, you know, made their more recent careers of political service, certainly. You have to realize before that, right, our thought was, oh, we remember the escalator ride here in New York City. We remembered things that had been a bit more staged, more controlled. But the debate is, you know, politics in the flesh, and it can get brutal out there. And um, President Trump certainly dominated when he was just Mr. Trump back in those days. But what I'll also say about that is sometimes his sense of humor in person is even more shocking than <laughs> yeah. than on than on the sure, TV screen. Sure. So, you know, I'll never forget being at a dinner where he spoke right before he announced he was running for president. And I think his his topic du jour for the start of his whole speech was Neil Diamond. And he can just be eviscerating yeah. to someone who who's um, in his crosshair, shall we say. But the debate stage is just 
once again, that beautiful American experiment, like fully on display. And folks, tune in. It's going to be fantastic. You know, it's funny. You you talk about uh, the Donald Trump and and, and just sort of the unique nature. And and I I wasn't going to tell this story, but but I'm going to do it anyway. And that is back in 2012. I think, yeah, I got time for this. Uh, Griff Jenkins, by the way, on the Brian Kilmeade show, uh, filling in for the great Brian Kilmeade. Give us a call at 866-408-7669. Talking to Nicolee Ambrose, the National Committee woman from the Maryland GOP. Nicolee, so my story with Donald Trump goes like this. In 2012, Mitt Romney, Governor Mitt Romney, was the nominee. And I was a correspondent, uh, largely reporting for Greta Van Susteren's program on the record. And if you remember the Tampa uh, RNC convention back in 2012, a Category 1 hurricane hit the Saturday before it began on Monday. And Greta had an exclusive interview. Did I tell you the story, Allison? You're going to like this. So Greta had an exclusive interview with with, uh, Donald Trump. On Saturday night, because the the Florida GOP had given him the Man of the Year award, so it's at the Ritz Carlton and St. Pete, and it was going to be a big deal. Greta couldn't get in because flights were shut down because sure. this this storm turned into a, a sort of uh, unsurprising Cat One. It wasn't terrible, but it was a Cat One hurricane, and it was pounding on Saturday night. And so Greta said, "Griff, it's your lucky night. You get to interview <laughs> Donald Trump." I'm like, okay, great. So here we go. So now I got a two camera set up, and we're set up. If you can visualize this, because we're on radio here, you've got one room where the thousand dollar plate people get to take a picture, VIP room to meet Trump. Go through a holding room where I'm set up for this quick interview than the grand ballroom where he'll be given this award. Well, the storm caused everyone to be running late. The water's gushing in the hotel. It's chaos. Everything's running late. And Donald Trump's assistant, Michael Cohen, Uh you may remember, is there. And he says, okay, Uh, Mr. Trump says, this can't happen. Interview's off. Don't have time. And I said, okay, uh, hold on. So I called Greta, and she's like, no, we've got to have something. We've already promoted exclusive interview for Monday night. you got to pull this through. So I talked to Michael Carter. I said, listen, just let me, you know, one question. That's it. We just can't come up empty-handed because it'll be Greta sure. and Donald Trump's reputation if we don't deliver on this interview we've promised. Well, here we are an hour late, Mr. Trump does what Mr. Trump wants to do. He walks in and says, what is this? Michael, I told you, this is off. This isn't happening. And I said, Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump, please, just two questions. We want to talk about your award for Greta. She thinks you're so great. I think you're great. Stroke his ego a little bit. He's like, okay, one question. Let's go. Hurry up. Hurry up. So I'm I'm panicking. At right. this point, I'm freaking out because right. I'm like, what? this guy's going to give me a two-second answer oh, get up no. and walk out. And I said, uh, okay, Ms. Trump, uh, thanks. We've got the cameras rolling. Be real. We'll be very quick. Here we go. Uh, Ms. Trump, you're getting a Man of the Year of Award uh, tonight, and I want to talk about that. But quickly, what is it, your your sense that, that, that maybe Governor Romney, the, the nominee, doesn't fully understand the threat that China poses? Because you talk a lot about it. He said, you're right. You're absolutely right. Well, that's right. 25 minutes later, Michael Cohen's like, get up. This interview's over. You got to go. You got to go. And he's saying, what was your name again? Griff Jane. Point of the story. My cameraman now has got to go get video of him getting this award. He walks into that ballroom. 
And these people have been there for hours. In a Category 1 hurricane, paying $5,000 a dinner, he walks in, doesn't even sit down at the table where they're trying to usher him. He walks right up on stage, grabs a microphone and says, hello, hello, I know we're supposed to have a dinner and all this formatics, but hey, listen, Nicolay, it's great to see you, Griff Jenkins, it's great to see whoever, the, the people that, you know, the, the Florida GOP luminaries, and says, I just, let me just say some words and then we'll all get the hell out of here. Let me just tell you, I was just interviewed by the finest greatest journalist I've ever met. And let me tell you, I hate 99.9 members of the media because they're corrupt and they're foul and they're dishonest criminals. And he goes on, he said, because this reporter asked me, Mr. Trump, do you think China is being underestimated? And he rails on Romney, rails on the media, rails on China, tells the person to come up, give him the uh, the award. He's in and out, 20 minutes tops, and out of the door he goes, and they were standing, standing room only, applause, ovation for 20 minutes. And when he walked out, I told Phil Selly, my cameraman, I said, wow, that was something. And Phil Selly said, you know, it's a shame that guy's not running for president because if that guy were running for president, he would get elected with how authentic and how genuine and how off the cuff he is in leaving a a room full of people that have been waiting for hours in a Category 1 storm paying $5,000 and they couldn't get enough. That is why Donald Trump should be on that debate stage, to remind people that that is what he brings that other candidates don't bring. Well, what you also just touched on is the whole point of what Democrats are trying to do to throw Republicans off in 2024. If Republicans, if Donald Trump, if Ron DeSantis, if Vivek, if everyone who's running for president talks about those issues which matter to Americans, Republicans win hands down across the board. Every single race people can vote on. But when we get thrown off and diverted talking about things that don't matter to our everyday lives, guess what? then Republicans don't exactly do well at the ballot box. Griff Jenkins filling in for the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's one 408 Talking to Nikolay Ambrose about this. You talk about the authenticity of Donald Trump. Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah. The Ramaswamy revolution, as I mentioned in reporting for Fox & Friends yesterday morning, He's catching lightning in a bottle a little bit. He was rapping Eminem at the Iowa State Fair. Now it looks like Ron DeSantis' super PAC put his debate prep, you know, bullet points out there for the whole world to see. And part of it is attack Vivek Ramaswamy, attack Vivek. So could Vivek, if Donald Trump doesn't come, could he steal that stage? Do you think there's something happening here? So Vivek is really charming. His wife's charming. They travel together. They're really lovely people. And, you know, he he listens. He's humble. He just comes across as a really nice guy, although obviously he's insanely successful. Um, you know, originally we kind of looked at this and we said, okay, none of us have ever heard of him in politics. Where'd he come from? Okay. Um, he's flying his jet around. Maybe he's trying to run for the Ohio Senate seat. But this is going very, very well for him right now, right? Mm-hmm. His minimum is probably making a play for the Ohio Senate seat. He's at least going for VIP, if not higher at this point. So, um, I mean, he's doing what you would tell any candidate to do, right? Be personable, get out there, listen, say things that matter to people. So um, he's doing great. As for DeSantis's team, I do not know why they put that 
ridiculous memo out publicly. Um, not smart. I my only if they did it literally intentionally, you have to wonder: Do they think they're warming people right. up to these concepts? Right. Because why else would you do it? It's, it's just, yeah. And there's these rules between a super PAC can't directly coordinate right? with the candidates. I don't know. Who knows what's going to happen? One thing is for sure: you're going to have a front row seat. Nicole Ambrose, National Committee woman for the Maryland GOP, joining us in the studio. I kept you far too long, oh, but that was so much fun. Nicole, have a great weekend. Enjoy New York. Thanks for being here. Can't wait to hear what you have to say after the debate is over. Thanks for being here. I I got to take a break. Griff Jenkins filling in for the great Brian Kilmeade on the Brian Kilmeade Show, 866-408-7669. Won't you give us a call? Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Nobody more knowledgeable than Brian Kilmeade. Griff Jenkins, your humble correspondent from D.C., filling in for the great Brian Kilmeade. What an honor to be here. And I have neglected taking your calls at 866-408-7669. So let me uh, get right to those with Gertrude in Springfield, Missouri. Hey, Gertrude, what's going on? Hi, I am in Springfield, Missouri, but I am a transplanted Memphian. I've uh, been here a while. Got we out love that. Was good. We love that. <laughs> I, I was born and raised in Memphis. Yeah, me too. Me oh. too. Got out while it was still uh, feasible. Uh, anyway, I uh, just wanted to say I really don't care if Donald Trump takes the stage with the others or not. Um, he is a known commodity to me. I know what I can expect from him, and I haven't decided – who I'm actually rooting for at this point. You're, um, wait, wait, Gertrude, you're undecided. I am undecided amongst the Republicans. I, I, I do know that if I vote for anybody, it's going to be the Republican nominee if I vote at all. Gertrude, um, what, what, what is it? Is it uh, the economy? Is it uh, the you know crime? Uh, what what is the issues? And, and what are you looking for in these candidates in this first debate? What are you looking to hear about that could affect you making that decision? Well, my motives are much much bigger than that. Um, I am currently reading a book. It's called America's Cultural Revolution. Um, I'm I'm looking at this as the 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 hidden left. I'm not talking about just people who vote Democrat or people who, um, you know, like like um, supporting the poor people and taking care of the poor and things like that. Uh, to me, it's it's about the whole left that has disguised themselves for thirty, forty, fifty years. Um, and has insidiously crept into our schools and our college institutions first, and then it, you know, now it's down into kindergarten level. Um, who want to take away parents' rights and supplant them with their own version of what society ought to be? In Gertrude, the whole society. J- just in the last like thirty seconds, I've got here. Are you going to watch this debate on Fox coming up here on the twenty third? And, and how important do you think it is? to see these debates? Oh, I'm going to watch. Yeah, yeah. I'm very interested in this um, because the the field is full of really good people. They're all qualified in one way or the other. They just have to, they have to impress me. They, somebody's got to impress me with a plan, a strategy. Um, 
And let me ask you quickly, Gertrude, in our latest Fox News poll, we asked people, has Biden made the economy better or worse since he took office? What do you say? Worse. Worse. Impacted you. All right, Gertrude, my fellow Memphian, great to have you on this Friday. Thank you very much. We're out of time on this hour. How did that possibly happen? Griff Jenkins, your humble D.C. correspondent, filling in for the great Brian Kilmeade on the briankilmeadeshow.com, 866-408-7669. Don't touch that dial. We got more. We ain't done yet. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Happy Friday. It is your humble DC correspondent, Griff Jenkins, filling in for the great Brian Kilmeade. I got the full Kilmeade experience today. Filling in for him on Fox and Friends with Stephen Ainsley. And now the huge honor of filling in for him on his radio show, The Brian Kilmeade Show. Griff Jenkins here, 866-408-7669. It's a huge honor because I started in talk radio in the 90s with Lieutenant Colonel Ollie North and then started Fox's radio operations. Worked with Allison, who has been my friend way back from when I was filling, or, uh, producing the Tony Snow radio show. So a lot of history here and why it's so very important and an honor for me. I'll get to that later. By the way, Kilmeade, your host, is out pushing uh, his new book, doing a very cool thing. It's kind of a secret thing. I'm not going to give away exactly what he's doing on it, but it is relevant to his new book, Teddy and Booker T, How Two American Icons Blazed a Path for Racial Equality. You can get that on pre-order at Amazon or wherever you buy books. I suggest you do it. It is a great historical read and a lot more to come in the way of television uh, to, to see on this as well. But let's just get right into something near and dear to my heart. If many of you listening have seen my coverage on Fox News Channel. It has been the border, and the border has become one of the most important, if not the most important story I've covered in a career of more than 25 years in the media because of the situation that we face today. And the career politicians that talk about it have no idea what the career officials who have dealt with the border are saying. There's a disconnect with this administration that they don't understand just how bad it is. And that border has never been worse. I have spent a lot of days with the hero of mine, Lieutenant Chris Olivares of the Texas DPS. He has been spearheading for the last several years the operation down on the Texas border. And you have seen me with him running through the bushes when migrants run, when smugglers run, trying to show Americans exactly what's happening. And he joins us now on the phone. LT, how are you, my friend? It's Griff. Hey, Griff, good to be with you. Uh, appreciate. Just want to say too, you know, first off, you know, uh, just we we appreciate everything you've done as as far as you know with DPS and the time that you've been out with us. Um, you get out there, you get dirty. Um, you're not afraid to get out there and, and run with us and you know apprehend these criminals that are coming across our borders and and really highlight the work that's being done. As you mentioned, there is a disconnect. And the work that you're doing and also other correspondents like Bill Malusian and other ones that have been out there with us um, really highlights the work that's being done and really shows the truth 
um, at the border, and it helps the American people understand what's really taking place. So we want to thank you for that. Well, listen, it has been my huge honor to be able to show what you're doing. And for our listeners that may not understand the dynamic here, when the Biden administration took over, they have essentially undid all of the things and policies that Donald Trump had put in place to try and secure the border. Obviously, we know the history of the past two years of unprecedented numbers, unprecedented amounts of narcotics, particularly fentanyl coming across, now armed smugglers and weapons as well. But the Texas DPS, LT and his uh, colleagues really are a huge part of making this work because the governor, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, stood up Operation Lone Star that began in the spring of 2021 when the Biden administration began to open up the border. And you have been supplementing uh, for the last two plus years the work that the men and women in green of the Border Patrol have done. And so, LT, let's just get right into really where things stand now, because just uh, a few days ago, I tweeted out a picture you put up uh, in in front and uh, part of the RGV sector in Fronton, Texas, of a backpack that had been abandoned full of ammo. We have also seen the pictures that you have put up on social media uh, from surveillance of smugglers now arming themselves. And this problem, we're now seeing upwards of 6,000 uh, illegal crossings every day now back up to the unprecedented levels that we've seen in the last year. Uh, they dipped down a little bit after Title 42. Back up now. How do you assess what's happening right now on the border in the situation at hand? Well, I mean, you mentioned it, right? So, yes, the numbers did decline slightly after Title 42, you know, but we're still seeing well over three to 4,000, you know, daily encounters throughout the southwest border, not, include, not including the ones that were being released at ports of entry through the CBP-1 app by the administration or the gotaways, right? The gotaways is another very critical part of border security because these are individuals um, that cross our borders and they may be seen on a camera or a sensor, and there's no there's no manpower to actually apprehend these individuals, so they get away. And that's why they're known as gotaways. Known gotaways is a key word there because, as I mentioned, they were they were spotted or they were detected on a camera or a sensor. So when you have over 1.7 million known gotaways now in the course of the past you know, two plus years, that in itself is is very dangerous. It's a threat to not only public safety and national security because. Some of those individuals, and as you mentioned, when I shown some of those images of cartel members coming across our river unimpeded, the reason why we're able to detect those individuals is through cameras, having technology. If we did not have cameras placed along the border, we would not be able to detect those individuals coming across with weapons. And again, they would be another added number to those gotaways. So when you look at cartel members, suspected terrorists, high-profile, high-ranking you know, illegal immigrants that are, that are crossing our rivers, and part of that group, that should really put it in perspective for the listeners and for everyone else, the American people, that we have a serious problem at our border. It's not just asylum seekers, not just families and children. Uh, we have this, these serious threats that we face every single day you know, as law enforcement, whether it be our state troopers, National Guard, Border Patrol agents. They are on the front lines every single day encountering these armed individuals that are coming across heavily armed. They have you know, armor-piercing rounds. This last event that we had, Last week, where we apprehended two individuals working with Border Patrol and, and our Texas game wardens, these individuals had high-powered you know, high rifles, AK-47. They had an M4 rifle, which is a military-grade type of rifle, which is fully automatic, and armor-piercing rounds that can penetrate a law enforcement bulletproof vest. So these are dangerous individuals. These are dangerous criminals. 
that are coming across our river that we have to encounter. If not, these individuals make it further into the interior, and who knows whether, what other you know, harm they can cause to our state and to our country. Frightening stuff. Texas DPS Lieutenant Chris Oliveras joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show, 866-408-7669. And LT, you really uh, make an important point there about if you spend time on the border, as I have with you, and talking to ranchers and residents that live there, they all say the same thing, which is don't be mistaken that what you're seeing down here with Griff and LT on Fox News showing you what's happening, don't be mistaken that it stays in Texas. It's coming to People in the interior, people all the way up to the northern border. And I think that's something that's often missed. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely, Griff. I mean, now that, you know, this situation that we've been in for the past, you know, two plus years, you know, I've, I've lived on the border my entire life um, as a law enforcement professional with 20 plus years of law enforcement. You know, I've, I've been on the border the entire time. I've, you know, I've served through different administrations, different governors. And what we're seeing right now is unprecedented. The numbers that we're seeing, the number of people that are coming across the border, the criminals, the drugs, fentanyl, it's historic. Nothing that nothing like we've ever seen before. And now the cartels have been able to enrich themselves even more now. They're more powerful than ever before. When you see the amount of drugs that are being produced, when you when you hear about large seizures that are being that are that are being seized at the ports of entry, when you have thousands, millions of pills of fentanyl being seized at the ports of entry, that should tell you one thing that the Mexican drug cartels are mass-producing drugs, especially fentanyl, at a historic level. And that's why it's killing tens of thousands of Americans every single year. And as you mentioned, you talk to the ranchers, talk to the business owners, talk to the families that have lost loved ones because of fentanyl. You know, families that are destroyed now because the Mexican drug cartels are able to mass-produce these illicit drugs, and it's killing Americans. That's the real issue right there, and that's why border security and the border issue right now is much broader than than what we look at and then what most people look at as far as seeing groups of people coming across the river. It's the threats to public safety. It's a threat to national security. That's why it's so important to highlight it and show a different aspect of the border than what people are used to seeing, just people coming across the river seeking asylum. And don't take it from myself and uh, Lieutenant Chris Oliveras, you know, here in New York, where I'm talking to you from, LT, uh, at the Roosevelt Hotel, great old hotel now, thousands of migrants at any given time, overflowing the city, Texas uh, uh, DPS or, or Governor Abbott's Operation Lone Star has bust. I think it's upwards of 100,000 migrants to various cities, particularly here in New York. And I want to play something for you, LT. This was Mayor Eric Adams, a Democrat in a sanctuary city that is essentially speaking to his Democrat governor through the media saying, I've had enough. Listen. We're hoping that the governor will put in place an executive order that would prevent us from having to go from location to location to location. New York just cannot continue to take this flow. And when he says location to location to location, he's talking about places to house these migrants that are crossing the border in record numbers. But yet the administration is telling us, no, no, the border is secure. No, no, everything's under control. That's just simply not true, is it? It's not. And, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, I mean, every state now is a border state. You've seen how New York is being impacted now and other states as well. Uh, but right. I mean, of course, the administration wants the American people to, you know, just to be under the impression, nothing to see here. Right. Everything's secured. You know, we got the numbers down, you know, which 
really they're not down. If you really look at the, you know, look at the totality of everything, numbers are, you know, numbers between ports of entry, numbers at the ports of entry, gotaways, you know, we're still back to where we were at when we first started this whole border situation. But they want the American people to be under the impression that nothing to see here, everything is fine, we got under control. And they want Texas, they want Governor Abbott to turn a blind eye and not do nothing about it. So when he's busing migrants, you know, to these sanctuary cities, obviously it's it's forcing the issue. It's forcing the awareness. It's forcing these conversations again about border security, especially when you have the mayor from New York bringing up those conversations, putting pressure on his own governor, and also putting pressure on the administration to do something about it. That in itself is good because, for one, as I mentioned, it brings up those conversations. It puts more pressure, and now the media is starting to cover some of it, and that's what we need. I mean this is not a situation that has gone away. It's, it's still there. It's still much a very serious issue because it's affecting everyone now, and it's, it's going to affect us in the long term also, you know. Once it's all said and done, you're going to have millions that are going to be in this country right now. There's going to be a backlog of cases. They're never going to get to go to their asylum hearing. And then you have those that have been in the country doing it the right way, waiting for the process, paying the money, getting attorneys. Now they're going to be at the back of the line, and they're never going to get their opportunity to actually become citizens because now we have so many people in our country right now. There's going to be this this large backlog where they're never going to get to these cases. And, you know, the the other part of all of this is the the sad – tragic reality that it it is a humanitarian crisis and it doesn't have to be this way. I put on social media from three or four months ago when I was with you and your great colleague Lupe Casares and we encountered a four-year-old child abandoned, terrified at the border. You were with me with Lupe. That sadly isn't an isolated event. No, it's uh, that's probably one of the hardest things, you know, seeing, especially my time, you know, uh, you know, working the border because I'm always out there, and you know, of course, you, you, you've been out there with us, and I think that's the hardest thing to actually experience as a law enforcement officer when you see these children, these vulnerable children that are coming across, um, you know, with no family, you know, and it can only put just really think about the journey these children have gone through. They have to go through multiple countries. They get to Mexico. We know Mexico is a very you know, heavily guarded, uh, heavily influenced cartel uh, territory. So just to think about what those children have to endure on the journey while they're in Mexico, you know, waiting for a family member or someone to pay these cartels so they can cross them and not knowing what they what they go through. And it, just to see that, to see children coming across that river, you know, unaccompanied, left at the riverbank or being smuggled in cars, uh, it just, it is tragic. And I think it's, you know, it's to them, obviously they're innocent. They, they didn't ask for this. But it's it's part of the issue right now where we're seeing children that are being exploited because of this, and that's why you have, you know, human trafficking, uh, sex trafficking with some of these children that are being smuggled in cars and not really knowing yeah. where they're ending up. And especially now that you know, there's reports that there's over 85,000 children that are unaccounted for right now that have gone through the federal process, and when they're being released to these sponsors, you don't know exactly what happens to these children where they end up. Right. And I think that there that's that's very tragic in itself, especially when we talk about children. It's horrific and thank God for the Texas DPS and lieutenants like Chris Oliveras who are there to help try and get this problem under control. LT, have a great weekend. Thank you for taking time and joining us, sir. Likewise, Griff. Thank you. All right, that's LT. Chris Oliveras joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show, your humble correspondent from DC. Griff Jenkins filling in. We'll be right back. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm interested in it. It's your humble D.C. correspondent, Griff Jenkins, with the greatest honor filling in for the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian out working on his new book, Teddy and Booker T. I suggest you go to Amazon or wherever you get books and pre-order it because it's going to be something you want to read. Meanwhile, Griff filling in, 866-408-7669. I have failed to get to your great calls, which is like the golden rule for the guy that started off in this business, talk radio producing it. So without further ado, let's go to Bruce in York, PA. Hey, Bruce, what's going on? Thanks for taking my call. I really appreciate it so much. Um, You know, the most important thing to me by far is this is not politics as usual as far as the president is is concerned. I don't think that we should – everybody that is running for the presidential candidate, they should all say, you know what? I don't give a damn who wins. I just want to clean up the swamp, and we need to focus on that. That's more important than who the candidate really is. And they should all just get behind and stop this political infighting. Right now, the the number one goal is FBI, DOJ. I can remember a few years ago when Trump was in, 3,000 Department of Justice workers says, we're going to quit if Trump does something. And you know what? Trump should have let him quit and said, hand in your resignation today. That's exactly what Reagan did with the FAA. So Trump didn't clean up the swamp, but he knows what he needs to do now. And he's not pussyfooting around. And everybody needs to get on the the war path. We don't have politics as usual for president. They know there's not, I don't give a damn. We got to do that and that alone. And you know, Bruce, when you were saying that, the first thing that popped to my mind was, gosh, the only time and last time we've ever seen that was when the Gipper, Ronald Reagan, President Reagan, took on those air traffic controllers, and he won in a major way. And that is, of course, what Donald Trump, four indictments in four months, facing 91 felony charges. Look, I think there's merit to some of these cases, and we'll see he'll get his fair share in in a, in a, in a courtroom, and, and, and you're innocent until proven guilty. But, you know, when... Americans look at this, they say, hey, 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 this seems very politically driven. In this latest case in Georgia, the judge this week setting the date of March 4th. I thought, huh, March 4th. What's March 4th? Oh, March 5th, Super Tuesday. That looks so political in and of itself. Bruce, thank you very much, my friend. Have a great weekend. Great call, great insight. Griff Jenkins filling in on the Brian Kilmeade Show, 866-408-7669. That makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Radio that makes you think, inspires you, drives you to greatness. That is what the Brian Kilmeade Show promises. I am Griff Jenkins, your humble D.C. correspondent, with the great honor of filling in for Brian Kilmeade today. Without further ado, let me go back to some more calls to see what is on your mind. Tim in Oklahoma. Tim, you've been on hold for a while. Thank you for calling in. Where in Oklahoma are you? Uh, Perry, Oklahoma, about 60 miles north of Oklahoma City. I love it. That's God's country. My late father was from uh, Beggs. My mother uh, from Chickasha, Oklahoma. Good people. What's on your mind? I know where those are at. Uh, Well, sir, I want to talk about Hawaii for a minute. But before I do, uh, let's go back to the border like you were talking about some people uh, back down there. And the... uh, North American continent can handle 20 or 30 million people in 20 or 30 years, but not 20 or 30 million people in two or three or four. It's going to put a serious strain on our hospitals, our education, our homes, our shelters, our food supply, electricity, everything. Does that make any sense? It sure does, Tim. And, you know, uh, I've covered that border extensively. And, you know, look, we the, the fact that there are unprecedented number of migrants coming from an unprecedented number of countries, more than 150 so far already in this fiscal year, tells you that it's a good thing that the rest of the world still sees this nation as the great nation, the beacon of hope, the Statue of Liberty. They see a better life for themselves by coming here. I just think the politicians have got to find a way to come together and come up with some sort of plan that they can both engage in in a, in a bipartisan way because what's working, well, what's happening right now is not working. And don't take it from me or from, from a Republican or from the official on the border who know best, by the way, you've got Democrat mayors like Mayor Eric Adams, a Democrat here in New York. Tim, thank you for the call. Have a great weekend. Thanks for calling in. I got to let you go because a longtime friend of mine, Julian Epstein, uh, that has been on this show on Fox a lot. But I know I'm going all the way back to my days when I produced a show on MSNBC with Paul Begala and Ali North on this show called Equal Time. He was awesome then. He's awesome now. Uh, Julian, how are you? It's Griff. How are you? Griff, brother, good to be with you. Man, it's great. I'm so excited to get a chance to talk to you on this Friday. I'm filling in for Brian, obviously. And we've been talking about everything under the sun, including Fox's latest polls, which pretty much isn't a shock. Uh, it is about the economy. People are saying, hey, look, you know, the economy is is worse now as opposed to better. Our latest Fox poll, only 25 percent say that Biden's made the economy better. Fifty two percent say worse. If you go back to September of 2021, it was more balanced to like 42 percent better, 47 worse. And so here we are, Julian, going. Going back into and I, I've I've dated myself uh, time and again talking about old Paul Bogal, or uh, uh, James Carville's you know it's the economy stupid but we seem to right, be kind of right. going into that uh, mode again in this election uh, and of course we've got a year and a half to go but it seems like the economy is going to be front and center again what what do you make of it and when you hear the White House say that Bidenomics is working for Americans but poll numbers sh- show something different what do you say to that? 
Well, a couple things. Let me. I just want to go back, if I can, Griff, to your comment about immigration um, before we started, which I thought was a great comment uh, about the fact that people all over the world still see the United States as the beacon of liberty, the beacon of freedom, the beacon of tolerance. And the fact that they want to come to this country is sort of just a testament to what a magical experiment that we have undertaken. And not enough Americans show pride uh, about this fantastic accomplishment that we've made over the last uh, 200 and some odd years. Um, I also want to make the point that you made on immigration, which is you're calling for a bipartisan solution, which I agree with. But, you know, and I've been very critical of my own president on this. You know, President Biden does not need bipartisan legislation to secure the borders. He has enough inherent authority as president of the United States to secure the borders. And what has gone on in the last three years is just unacceptable and intolerable with, you know, by some estimates, seven million um, illegal crossings. Um, and you look at some place like New York that's just dealing with that's sort of losing its its mind over having to deal with 100,000 uh, migrants. I mean, look at the border states. Look at Arizona. Look at Texas. Uh, look at some of the border states. They've been dealing with hundreds of thousands, if not millions, without the resources to deal with them. And it's just been a catastrophe. And, uh, you know, Democrats have been very foolish about this. They bemoan sort of the, uh, you know, they bemoan uh, the rise of Trump in 2016. What they don't realize is, uh, you know, if you go back to 2016, one of the reasons that Trump was elected in 2016 was because people were so upset about just uncontrolled immigration. Yeah. Um, and it was a huge issue. And the fact that Democrats don't get that it's just mind-boggling to me. It's 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 a great you're quite, it's it's a great point though. Hold on, I want to stay with this for a second, Julian, because you're you're making a great point. And you know, I, I would only add to that that there are guys like Henry Cuellar, longtime Democrat congressman on the border. Some of these Democrat uh, uh, members of Congress have been sounding the alarm, similar to what you're saying, saying, "Hey, hey, hey, let's set aside our party affiliation here real quick because I've got a problem in my backyard that's gonna go to other places." They don't. Stay on the border. They go into the interior, hence the problem you're seeing in New York. And you're spot on that this administration should have done something without Congress, uh, uh, you know, use the powers you've got to try and get things under control. I just think, you know, Julian, it's been a long time since there was real bipartisan uh, agreement in Washington on, on on anything of substance. And I think that, you know, for the sake of these migrants, and, and make no mistake, this is a humanitarian crisis. The things I've been showing, and my colleague Bill Malusian, we show this stuff on, on, you know, Fox all day long when we're down there on the board, is humanitarian crisis. And if Congress could figure out some way to come up with a bipartisan agreement that would both put enforcement first, followed by a pathway to citizenship and a work permit sort of thing so that many of these migrants, particularly the ones driven by economic flight, because they just want a better job, then you can find a way to put them to work. There are farm jobs, agricultural jobs, construction stuff. It can be done if there were political will. I just don't think, Julian, there's any political will on either side, Democrat or Republican, to try and find agreement. Well, I think there is political will on the Republican side. I, I, I sadly think there isn't enough on the Democratic side. 
I think we've had policies that have worked, like remain in Mexico. You know, and economic migrancy is as much as we may sympathize uh, with it and empathize with it does not mean that immigrants can sort of cut to the front of the line uh, ahead of everyone else. And it, it does not give you refugee status. Refugee status is political or religious persecution. So, uh, you know, clearly we need a much more orderly process. But first, we need to secure the border. Remain in Mexico was a plan that worked. And what we need to do is we need to say to these Central American company, countries, you know, we'll help you. We will, you know, the, the big problem there is that these countries have not gotten their economy going and have not done the things internally they need to be doing to get their economy revving at a high speed. Uh, and um, they've got to sort of address those needs. I mean, there's only so much immigration that the United States can can you know absorb. Yeah. Ultimately, these countries are going to have to start finding solutions for themselves. We should say we will be a willing partner. We will help you guys figure out your education system, your you know your economies, how to invest, how to get into the 21st century economy. Um, uh, you know that's ultimately the answer. But just sort of you know just absorbing you know several million immigrants every year or a couple of years without really the means to be able to handle that, as we're seeing in so many places, is just not an answer. Uh, yeah. And I think Democrats have been very remiss on this. And I think this is going to be a much, much bigger issue than than sort of people realize in the next election. To your I mean, and I don't mean to be dumping on my own party here to your question about the economy. You know, I, I think the economy has been very bad under Biden. Um, and I think the reason that you are. I mean, the one thing I think that Bidenomics is selling right now is low uh, unemployment, which has been good, which is good. That's a great. Thing. Um, but, yeah, it's a great thing. Um, we want every American who wants to work to have a job. There's no question about that. Um, but, you know, the big mistake that the Biden administration made was in March of 2021 when it dumped two trillion dollars into the economy. You know, when 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 Trump left office in 2020, we had the COVID recession. We were about $400 billion short on our GDP. So we had, a, had about a $400 billion hole to fill uh, because of the COVID lockdowns. Um, um, what Biden should have done is filled that hole with $400 billion in stimulus. Um, and that would have been appropriate in March. What they did was they went overkill yeah. because they wanted to juice the economy. And the resulting when putting two trillion into the economy in March of 221 really really you know spiked inflation ridiculously you put that with a an energy policy where the administration basically declared war on oil and gas which was foolish we're going to need oil and gas for the foreseeable future yes um, i'm all for clean energy but what the Biden administration should have said is we're not going to declare war on oil and gas. I'm not going to please the far left, um, and I'm not going to cater to the far left by doing that kind of nonsense. We're going to support the oil and gas industry, but we also want to, in the long term, start trying to develop clean energy as well and nuclear. Um, you see the, Germ- the mistake the Germans made when they got rid of nuclear. It was a disaster for them. Right. And let's do this cooperatively, and let's not do this 
And let's not do this in a way that is trying to shame people that disagree with us or shame or villainize the oil and gas industry. You know, the biggest mistake that the left made on COVID was not so much saying, you know, you should mask or get vaccines or all of that, or, or, or even lockdowns, although I think a lot of the lockdowns were, you know, the, the data now shows a lot of the lockdowns were, were very excessive and didn't help. But the biggest mistake that the left made during COVID was, was, was shaming people, was sort of the sanctimony. If you don't agree with me, you're a bad person. If you don't agree with me on vaccines, you're a bad person. If you don't agree with me on masking, you're a bad person. If you don't agree with me on lockdowns, you're a bad person. And when you try to shame and humiliate people that you disagree with, that's when they tell you to go take a hike, and that's when you lose them. Yeah. And, and, and that was the biggest mistake the public health community and the left made on COVID was, you know, we're, we're smarter than you, and if you don't agree with us, you're a bad person. And it was the same thing that happened on oil and gas. You know, oil and gas is terrible. They're the demons. We have to put it out of business. And if you don't agree with me, you're an awful person. And that was a disaster. It was. And, and you know, the administration. Just to jump in on that, you're you're right. The energy thing. I saw a poll uh, uh, back from July, the Washington Post, about Biden's handling of climate change. Right, forty percent approve, fifty-seven percent disapprove. And in fairness to Biden, he's done more to try and enact climate change policies to appease that far-left crowd, and yet. They're not happy. And so even amidst causing the energy problems, and I think you're spot on, energy is directly uh, related to inflation and the economic realities of, of everyday Americans. And, and yet here you see he can't even get them uh, to, to, to support him when he's trying to do more. And I don't know. I don't know how that ends. Well, because what has happened, and I think social media has a lot to do with this, Griff is we've gotten into this age now where rather than trying to solve problems and work with each other, I work with Republicans in my, in my, in my work all the time, every day. And when the cameras aren't on us and when we're not on, you know, the group Jenkins radio show, you know, and the spotlights aren't, we can always sit down and figure out problems and figure out solutions. Um, But that spirit has been lost in the public square, mostly because social media as this reward system yep. where the more polemical you are, the more sanctimonious you are, the more um, holier than thou you are towards the other side, the more attention you get. My the brother, Julian, you, you couldn't have said it better. We need to get that spirit back. I'm running out of time here, but thank you, Julian, well, for spending time with me. Great solutions. Have a great weekend, my friend. Thanks for calling in. Happy to talk to you anytime, Griff. Good to be with you again. All right. Griff Jenkins on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're almost out of time, but we got one more segment. Won't you stick with us? We'll be right back. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I would say that all this stuff that's coming out slowly but surely about Biden is on purpose. And they want they want to get rid of him. I think he wants to run again, and I don't mm. think the Democrats think that he can win. I think they're right, and I think they're going to slowly but surely expose more of these uh, like very clear pieces of evidence of corruption. Yeah, yeah. The $20 million is 
bananas. The fact that this isn't all over the New York Times and the Washington Post and mainstream news, that they're not blaring it from the rooftops, because you know they would be if it was Trump. Joe Rogan weighing in on whether or not Democrats want Joe Biden to be the nominee. We shall find out. Always insightful. Griff Jenkins here filling in for the Brian Kilmeade Show, 866-408-7669. I want to go to Kathy in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, because in Oshkosh, Kathy, you've got the greatest air show on the planet. <laughs> Thank you, EAA. <laughs> um, What's good on morning, your mind? Griff, friend of Brian, you are, um, I presume. Yes. I, a 70-year-old uh, Republican voter, I suggest that we ditch Mitch. That's Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. You say why? Uh, well, he's too rich. Um, he doesn't. Uh, the whole party needs to uphold the principles for which it stands, really. I haven't. And and uh, we just can't afford to have somebody blocking the candidates we support, such as Trump and other along the line um, conservatives. Yep. Uh, he seems to have an agenda that doesn't go along with us. All right, Kathy, we appreciate the call. And what an incredible message we're getting from callers today about the establishment. That's why Oliver Anthony, an unknown musician, wrote a song, Richmond, North of Richmond, talking about Washington, out of touch with what happens on Main Street America. Griff Jenkins filling in on the Brian Kilmeade Show, the greatest radio show on earth. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.